Well, I'm grateful for Gene for filling in last Sunday, but we are back in Genesis, and we, are come to, we have come to chapter 40. So let me go ahead and read that in your hearing, 23 verses. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and his baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it's well with you, and please do me the kindness to me to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to its, his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as, Pharaoh, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray. O oh Lord, your God, Lord God, your, your word is truth, and it is edifying. It is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. O Spirit of God, do your work among us. Do that work. Love, you might need correction. We certainly need encouragement. We need to have a deeper humility, a, a greater joy as we serve the living Lord who has risen from the dead. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We read a f- number of weeks ago from 
Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read verse 11 where Paul said, In Him, in Christ, we, of course the church, we have obtained an inheritance. Okay, looking toward the future then. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, that is in the present, according to the counsel of His will. So we see there that God is working all things in the present time, all things in our lives, with a view toward accomplishing His eternal purposes, okay? That future which He has planned. And if there's any doubt, any question, any lingering doubt at all, Paul said, well, we were sealed. And think of a king's seal, that authenticity, okay, that saying this is genuine. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Is that not good news? And does that not give us joy and contentment? Does it not sustain us during these days of struggle and loss and need? Well, we have seen that in the days of the sons of Jacob, as we've been going through these chapters and these verses, that the light of the Word of God was virtually extinguished by the sin, not of the Canaanites, but of God's own people. The sons of Jacob, the family of Israel, they were living in the land of Canaan, and instead of being obedient to the Word of God and being a witness to the glory of God, they were in fact absorbing the culture of the Canaanites around them, becoming murderers and fornicators and adulterers, just like the nations that God had years ago destroyed in the days of Noah. They were becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. And they could not fulfill God's purpose of being the light to the nations unless they were restored to being people of the Word. See, God intended His Word to be a light and a guide uh, to the nations because Christ is the Word of God. Christ is the light of the world. And so at this time in history, God appointed Joseph. Joseph was the one who would bear the Word of God. He was the one who would proclaim the Word of God. And he, in fact, brought the Word of God to his family, his apostate family, if you will, okay? He was the one to rescue them from unbelief. We saw early on in chapter 39, Joseph had two dreams. This was the Word of God. This was revelation brought to his family, but not just to his family. Everywhere Joseph went, we are seeing he brought the Word of God to bear on those around him, even in Egypt. Because, in fact, God's plan involves not just Israel, not just Hebrews, but all nations. In fact, Isaiah prophesied, In that day Israel will be third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Think there of the promise to Abraham that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. And the nations would indeed be attracted to Jehovah and come join with Israel. And so Joseph brought the word of God to Potiphar and to Potiphar's wife. He said, is this not sin? Is this not wickedness which you are proposing? Bringing the word of God to bear upon Potiphar's family. And in chapter 40, our chapter today, he's bringing the word to two of his fellow prisoners. And in the next chapter, 
Lord willing, next week, he's going to bring the word of God to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, himself. So in these chapters, in the events of these chapters, God is revealing his word to the world. And Pharaoh himself would declare, is there any other man like Joseph in whom is the Spirit of God? For God himself has revealed these secrets to Joseph. The, the Most High God has revealed secrets to Joseph, his word, his revelation, which Joseph then shared with many around him. Now, chapter 40 describes events that are going to be pivotal, okay? They're going to be great of great importance in this unfolding drama or unfolding plan of God. See, the family of Jacob couldn't continue to live like the Canaanites. They were, after all, the holy chosen people of God. So God would, in time, remove them from among the land of Canaan, and he would put them in a land where they would be separated from the nations. And in that place called Goshen, they would grow and prosper and become this vast people which also, by the way, would be in fulfillment of God's word to Abraham in Genesis 15, where he said that the promised judgment upon the land of Canaan because of its wickedness would wait for 400 years. And during that time, then, the family of God, the people of God, the family of Abraham would be kept safe in Goshen in the land of Egypt. You see, there's no reason to believe that Pharaoh... And Egypt would have welcomed the people of Israel, the family of Jacob, and given them refuge in Goshen, except for the events that happened in chapters 40 and 41, which would in fact bring Joseph and therefore his family into favor with Pharaoh. So these two chapters, today and next Sunday, set the stage for Israel to grow into this uh, vast people in a safe place until the time was right for the exodus under Moses and the conquest under Joshua. Now, remember the end of the previous chapter in verses 21 and uh, 22 and 23. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And it ends, uh, because the Lord is with him, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph was a prisoner. Joseph was kept against his will. Joseph did not want to be in those circumstances. Joseph wanted to be home with his family. And yet, even away from Israel, in prison, the Lord was with him. And the Lord, Jehovah, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, <laughs> which ironically was whom? Potiphar. And so chapter 40 begins sometime after this. Months, years, who knows. Sometime after this, two of Pharaoh's chief officials were alleged to have committed serious offenses against Pharaoh, possibly even plotting murder. Why is this? Because one of the accused was the chief cupbearer. Now, the chief cupbearer was in charge of the king's vineyards, and therefore, the drinks that the king was served, that they, and he, he was to ensure that they were the, the very best, the very best wine, the very best drinks. And of course, safe, because someone just might want to threaten the king's life, right? 
The other was the chief baker. And he was responsible for the good stuff, the desserts and all those wonderful baked goods, right? Those pastries and breads and things that we love a little bit too much, right? Now, it's important to note that both these men were high officials, okay? They were men that had immediate access to the king, like our president's uh, cabinet members, right? That's going to become very important in the next chapter. Now, Pharaoh may have suspected some kind of conspiracy against him because he put two of his closest officials in prison at the same time, both of whom, as we just said, were involved in what was served, the food and drink that came to the king's dinner table. And he put them in prison, obviously, to secure his own safety until these accusations could be investigated and guilt or innocence then discovered. Now, this is crucial, okay? They were put in prison where? Where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard, the husband, by the way, of the woman who made the accusations against Joseph, he placed them under the care of Joseph. Now, children of God, are you seeing the invisible hand of God's providence here? Think, for example, about Esther, who just happened to be appointed queen during the very days when Haman would pursue Mordecai and all the Jews to destroy them. And God raised up Esther for such a time as this to protect the Jews and to keep them safe. Nice coincidence, right? Or like Caesar, who just got in his mind to declare a census which would take Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem from Nazareth while Mary was pregnant with our Lord, so she would give birth to Jesus in Bethlehem according to the Scriptures. Wow. Man, good luck. That worked out well, didn't it? Beloved, God is directing the minute details of Joseph's life, so he is going to be in position to save Israel. He himself would say, God meant it for good. Yes, brothers, you meant evil against me. You did wicked. But God intended to keep, God did this to keep many people alive, to save our own family, as happened today. See, you might not, and I might not, see God's hand of providence in our lives so clearly, especially when things are going badly. But by faith, we understand that God is near to all those who call upon Him and who come to Him in Jesus' name, that we are His beloved, we are His children, we are His family, and He is working out all things together for good in our lives. Will you then believe His Word? Will you then live by faith? Or will you use your eyes and your ears to judge what's going on and perhaps determine falsely and perhaps have a, a bad attitude or a wrong response to unpleasant and unwelcome circumstances? See, when you are not overwhelmed by self-pity, you will probably find evidence that God is blessing you in whatever prison, in whatever pit you happen to be in. 
you will find, if your eyes are open, little blessings here and there, perhaps some unexpected surprise, maybe a phone call you didn't expect from a friend, an encouragement, maybe a card in the mail, something like that, okay? Uh, a meal or, or a gift given in love. But if your only thought is, whoa, it's me. Life is so hard. Life is so bad. Then you're going to miss those things because your eyes are going to be fixated on your own misery and you're going to miss God's smile and God's blessings. Because you see, even in your pit, God is with you to bless you and to fulfill His promises and to show you how much He loves you. Isaiah said, my soul yearns for you in the night, in the darkness. Does your soul yearn maybe all the more strongly for God in your darkness, in your night? God was, in fact, smiling upon Joseph. Oh, I have no doubt that others didn't see that. They maybe were laughing at Joseph, mocking him. <laughs> this Hebrew foreigner, you know, this, so, this self-righteous do-gooder, he deserves to be in prison. Who knows, okay? But Joseph knew it because his faith was strong. Notice that both men, two men, each had a dream the same night. Well, that's interesting. Each man had his own dream, and each dream had its own interpretation. And both men were greatly bothered by that dream because they didn't understand it. And see, dreams and interpretation were big deals in Egypt back then. I suppose people go to, what are they, tarot card readers or these fortune tellers today to, to try to get some, comfortable with the future, to, to have some security with what's going to happen in their lives. I don't commend that, by the way. Just saying people do that, right? Well, that was a big deal in Egypt. And Joseph noticed they were sad, they were depressed, they were troubled. Okay, Joseph took notice of that. That's important as well. Because here is evidence that Joseph was not afflicted with self-pity and depression. Because people who have this self-pity tend not to notice others, right? They're just so full of themselves. They're just fixated on their own misery. They're so self-absorbed right? They don't notice that others happen to be suffering also, maybe in a more challenging or extreme way. Or if they do notice, they think, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, they're in prison too. They probably were falsely accused and man, life just stinks, doesn't it? You know, we're always looking for a change in circumstances and often we need a change in attitude. We need more faith. We need to fix our eyes upon the Lord, we need to know who it is who's directing our circumstances, who it is who loves us, the sovereign one, the glorious one, the one who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to the cross that you might be forgiven and reconciled and have the fullness of joy. So I believe that Joseph was like Paul who also was cast into prison unjustly and that Joseph, like Paul, had joy in prison, okay? Because the one who was persecuted for the sake of righteousness was blessed by God. And it's not what's going on circumstantially in your lives that brings joy. It's knowing the Lord. It's being in His presence. It's being in fellowship with Him. The psalmist said, in your presence 
Lord, there is fullness of joy. Are you dwelling in the presence of God? Are you that branch clinging to the vine, which is Christ? If you're dwelling in His presence, it doesn't matter what's going on. You will have fullness of joy. Joseph was there. Joseph was in God's presence. And the text makes that clear multiple times that God was near to Joseph. Joseph was near to God. It makes that time and time again that point so we don't miss it. Now, there's further evidence of God's, or rather Joseph's God-centered attitude in verse 8. His response to these moaning, complaining officials. He said, don't interpretations belong to Elohim, to Jehovah, to God? Tell me the dreams and I will interpret them, okay? He had no doubt that God was with him. He had no doubt that God would give him the interpretation, that God was near. He was putting really God's reputation on the line. If he's wrong, God would look sort of foolish, right? Joseph was not like the one James speaks of, whose prayers are filled with doubt and faltering faith. James said, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Joseph wasn't that wave of the sea. His heart was steadfast and firm because he trusted in the kindness of his Father in heaven. He knew of God's favor. The psalmist says, my mind instructs me in the night. Again, in the darkness, in the blackness, in the unknown, the uncertainty, my mind instructs me by faith, okay? Joseph's mind instructed him. He was guided by his knowledge of the Lord, by his awareness that God was near to bless him, okay? Even in the apparent desperation of his circumstances and troubles, okay? In fact, he seemed to sense that God was revealing his plan through these dreams, and he was confident God would give him the interpretation. And so we need, we must be guided by the Word of God. The Bible says the, God, the Word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We used to live in western North Carolina in the mountains where there are no streetlights. And one night I walked to my neighbor's house. Actually, one day I walked to my neighbor's house. She was a widow. I was helping her out. And it got dark while I was there. And I walked back to my house and it was pitch dark. I mean, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. There was no stars out that night. Okay, the Word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I didn't have a, no cell phones back then in the 90s with a flashlight built in, right? That's what I needed. Didn't have it back then. But God's Word is that lamp. God's Word is that light. Not just in the good times, but especially, especially in those difficult and troubled times. Okay, okay. Paul was in prison, and yet he wrote. Paul was in prison unjustly also, by the way, and he wrote, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I bet you can finish this verse. And I am convinced that he is able to keep or to guard that which has been entrusted to me. I am convinced that he is able to keep. Well, the cupbearer's dreams were related in verses 9 through 11. And Joseph knew right away what this dream meant, what the interpretation was, because the Lord was with, not because he was so brilliant, 
but because the Lord was with him, and the Lord revealed this to him. And Joseph understood that the investigation that was going on, or perhaps was already completed, would reveal that the cupbearer was in fact innocent of the accusations and of these, uh, uh, these charges, and that he would be restored. He would regain his uh, former position and prestige. And the baker had been quiet. He was listening during this, and he thought, oh, wow, this seemed to be going well. I see that the cupbearer's uh, interpretation was favorable. He was the guilty one, as we discover, okay? And he thought, maybe he's going to escape, okay? Maybe it's going to not be known. And so, feeling a little more confident, he told Joseph his dream and asked for the interpretation. God's Word is faithful and true, beloved. And it revealed the innocence of the cupbearer, so it revealed the guilt of the baker. The cupbearer was restored, and the baker was hanged. You know, we live in a time and a day and a country where you hear all the time people think that all good people are going to go to heaven. Many years ago, I heard R.C. Sproul referring to this, and he called it justification by death. If you die, you go to heaven, right? You know, God is loving, God is merciful. God's not going to send anyone to hell, and maybe there is no such place as hell anyway, right? How many people believe? Any EE people years ago, right? Oh, I've done good things. I've done good works. My good works outweigh my bad words, that scale of life, right? The fact is the Bible says the soul that sins shall die. The soul that sins. Not the soul that sins greatly. The soul that sins many times. The soul that sins one time. Not that anyone sins just one time. Shall die. The only escape is Christ. Christ is the only hope for rescue and for life because only in Christ can the guilty be forgiven and set free. Apart from Christ, the guilty shall be punished because divine justice cannot not be served. Forget the double negative. Divine justice must be served because all have sinned. Moses said, I have set before you life and death the blessing and the curse. So choose life that you may live. If you choose Christ, you will have life. But if you turn away from Christ, I don't care what you turn to, if you turn away from Christ, you choose death. You choose judgment. You choose eternal condemnation. God will give you what you choose. So choose life. Come to Christ. Flee to Christ. There is no hope except in Him. Well, in verses 14 and 15, Joseph pleaded with a cupbearer, please remember me. He knew he'd be restored. He knew his dream. He knew his interpretation was right. He said, when you come back into favor, remember me. I'm here unjustly. I should not be here. I did nothing wrong in my homeland. I did nothing wrong here. And he was hoping that the kindness he gave would result in him receiving kindness by this official advocating on his behalf. There's nothing wrong with this because Joseph had been treated unjustly, right? To petition for justice is not wrong. It's not whining or complaining. Paul would do that as well. He's, I appeal to Caesar. I've done nothing wrong. He wasn't angry at God. 
His heart cried out for vindication and release, but he would not receive justice, at least not yet. He must still continue to suffer for a while. And the chief cupbearer did not remember him, but forgot him. And he stayed in prison. How discouraging, how depressing must that have been? And you know, he appoints to Jesus again. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he pleaded with his Father, Deliver me, Father, from this cup. Jesus knew that he was appointed to bear our sin, the Holy Son of God. And in reviling, in, in, in repulsion, he's like, I can't do this, but not my will, but thine be done. And God seemed to ignore him. God seemed to turn away from his pleas. In fact, God turned away from him on the cross and left him to, to die a criminal's death, hung between two guilty criminals. But God did not forget him. Because what? On the third day, he rose from the dead to glory, to exaltation, to being King of kings and Lord of lords. But you know, it reveals also that we, God's people, those known by the name of Christ, we also sometimes endure suffering and pain, maybe unjustice. And it seems maybe at times that God has forgotten us. We cry out, God, where are you? I'm in darkness. I can't find you. Where are you? But God is near, and God will remember his people. God remembers his covenant. Interesting, interestingly, Joseph actually asks the official to show him hesed. Jeff knows what that means. Hebrew mean, means covenant faithfulness. It's used of God's um, faithfulness to us. God is faithful to his covenant promises. He cannot be unfaithful, Akkad, because of Christ. He won't forget his children. He is not a deadbeat dad in spite of what things look like at times, okay? He will right all wrongs. He will heal all your wounds. And all those in Christ dwelling in this land of misery and suffering, someday we will be raised up. Someday we will be exalted. We will dwell in God's palace, God's house, and we will live and rule there with the King of kings. God is with you now. He is with you now. One author wrote for Joseph, the simple words, God was with him, were a game-changing reality in his life. A game-changing reality that God is with me. It makes all the difference, right? And that's true for, for you and me as well. When we believe his word and live by faith, and that brings us back to the truth that God's Word is in the world. It's in the world through the church and through the lives of people to what? To display and show forth God's glory. Is your desire, your chief end, truly to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? It's a wonderful answer we recite. But is it true? Is it really your chief end? Because I tell you this, if it is, Know that according to Scripture, suffering has a key role in that. Here's what Peter wrote. 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, those that cause you to suffer for righteousness' sake, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, Reformed scholars, uh, and Jeff has probably heard this in seminary, will tell you that the word defense there is the word apologia, from which we get the word apologetics. And people go back and talk about apologetics, right? Okay, giving a defense for the gospel, for the word of God, for Christ. But the context of that apologia of which Peter speaks is suffering unjustly. I don't hear that very much from the author for some reason, right? So suffering can have this evangelistic or this apologetic power because it gives, gives us the opportunity to speak of the hope that we have in Christ in the midst or in, 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 among the suffering life and, and people in this world. You know, one of the things I prayed for on Friday, or really Thursday, our time, as Fanny was a, a, about to strike the east coast of India, people that I know, people that I love, besides their, for, for their protection and their safety, was that they would be able to glorify God before unbelieving Indians and that Fanny would actually serve to advance the gospel in that vast and, and amazing country, okay? See, the church has the Word, so the Word will be in the world. The Word is to be in the world to the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ. The believers in persecuted nations know that far better than we tend to because they suffer more than we do. And they are willing to suffer if by that suffering Christ should be exalted and the Word should be proclaimed and, and, the, and, the, and the church should be built and grow. So think about that. Think about it. Your darkness, your struggles, the pit in which you might be right now can advance the kingdom of God if you're willing to be used by God. So reject self-pity and instead proclaim the glory of Christ and the hope of the gospel to a suffering world. You know, when life is the pits, that's your opportunity to bring the word to your world that's the opportunity to present your apologia, your defense, okay? But Paul also, Paul also wrote this, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, understand that God is working in our lives and in our church through our present struggles to bring about the future He has promised. Paul said, for this slight momentary affliction, and he had serious afflictions compared to most of us, right? It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So don't despair. Guard your heart against self-pity because the Lord is with you in your prison now, in your pit now, as he was with Joseph. Yes, Joseph had to remain in that pit for a time, 
for some months, actually a couple years, but he would soon be exalted. And we, following our suffering, if we are in Christ, if we are faithful to the end, we also will receive the crown of life. So use your suffering now to proclaim God's Word to your world. Amen. O Lord God, You are mighty to save. You are mighty to protect. You are mighty to deliver. And You are mighty to transform. O God, do keep us safe. But in our circumstances, O God, let us glorify You. Let us use our suffering to present our apologia to the world. Let Christ be exalted. Let His church be built, for that is our passion and our first love. Amen.